The left believes that your children are theirs to control and parents are fighting back. Joe Biden's approval ratings continue to tank and the White House continues to flail over Ukraine. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Protect your online privacy today at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We'll get to all the news in just one moment. First, remember, using the internet without ExpressVPN, it's like leaving your laptop open on a coffee shop table while you run to the restroom. It's probably okay most of the time. And then you come out one day and there's some weird guy who's just browsing through your emails. Why would you do that? You wouldn't. And so why would you leave all of your internet activity out there for anyone else to take a look at? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data. It doesn't take a lot of technical knowledge to hack somebody, some cheap hardware and half a brain, basically. Your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal information on the dark web. So why use ExpressVPN? Well, first of all, it creates an encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers cannot steal your sensitive data and it's super secure. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past that ExpressVPN encryption. My favorite thing, it's really easy to use. You hit one button and you download it and then you hit another button and you're ready to go. It works on all your devices, phone, laptops, tablet, and more so you can stay secure on the go. Secure your online data today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. You can get an extra three months for free. Expressvpn.com slash Ben. Well, Joe Biden's numbers are just terrible. They are in the toilet. One year in, this president has failed. He has completely incomprehensively failed. The good news is that he is sending out Hallmark Valentine's Day cards on his Twitter. He hopes that this will help recast him in a new light for the American public. So here is the president of the United States today on Twitter. Here's what he said. And I think we need a little bit of um, romantic music for, for this. Here we go. One year ago, we started to write an American story of hope, not fear, of unity, not division, of light, not darkness. An American story of decency and dignity of love and healing, of greatness and of goodness. May this be the story that continues to guide us for Jam. Oh, romantic. Romantic stuff from the president of the United States. Actually, one year ago, you had a 54 to 56% approval rating, and now you are in the low 30s, according to a multiplicity of polls. There's a poll out today that is the most important poll which is how many people actually wish to see Joe Biden run for re-election in 2024? The answer, 28% of Americans are like, I would love to see that guy run for re-election. 28% of Americans, that is Joe Biden and his immediate family and Hunter Biden's illegitimate child. Those are the people who want Joe Biden to run for re-election. And I don't even know if Hunter Biden's illegitimate child feels that way. Right now, according to the Associated Press, more Americans disapprove than approve of how Biden is handling his job as president, 56% to 43%. As of now, just 28% of Americans say they want Joe Biden to run for re-election in 2024, including only 48% of Democrats, less than half of Democrats, want the incumbent Democratic president who just won a supposed landslide victory over Donald Trump to run for re-election. You know how bad that is? Those numbers are abysmal. In July, 59% of Americans said they approved of Biden's job performance. That is a 16-point drop. His approval rating dipped to 50% by late September because of Afghanistan, and then it just kept on dropping. I mean, the numbers look like, like, like the guy at the end of Dr. Strangelove riding the bomb into the ground. That's, that's what the trajectory of these numbers look like. His approval rating among Democrats went from 97% at the beginning of his tenure to 76% today. Okay, he has lost 21% among Democrats, which is insane. He went from 61% among independents to 43% among independents. He went from 23% among Republicans to 9% among Republicans. I mean, these are terrible, terrible numbers. And as for Joe Biden's contention in his Hallmark Valentine's Day card that he's bringing unity back to the world, only 16% of Americans think Biden's presidency has made the country more united. 43% think it's more divided. Well, ironically, he has united the country against him. Everybody thinks that he sucks at this. When 84% of Americans agree that Joe Biden's presidency has not made the country more united, that's a pretty solid level of agreement, actually. Only 28% of Americans say they have a great deal of confidence in Biden to effectively manage the White House. That is down from 44% who said that one year ago. Some 33% said that they have some confidence. 38% said, no, nah, no confidence at all. And his numbers within demographics, key demographic groups, just terrible. According to a brand new NBC poll, 
They say 44% is his approval rating among registered voters. That, that sounds high to me, but okay. Here is the problem. Here are his numbers among various demographic groups. Okay, he is at 36% with independents. He's at 64% with black voters. To be down to 64% approval rating among black voters is insane. That is down 19% from April. Among young voters, 18 to 34, right? This is the demographic that, that is going to change the future. They're all going to love Joe Biden. 18 to 34 voters, only 40% of them say they like Joe Biden. 40%. Among Hispanics, the number is 48%. So a minority of Hispanics like Joe Biden. Even among women, which is the, the best demographic group for, for Joe Biden, or one of the best, he's only at 51%. These numbers are viciously brutal. They're just terrible. Now, I assume that what Joe Biden is doing now is he's trying to shore up the black support. He's trying to shore up the, the female support and the young support. It ain't working. It just isn't. And right now, they are cruising for a, a record bruising come November. I think there's every opportunity for the Republicans to pick up about 40 seats in the House, leaving them with a 252-seat majority in the House of Representatives, which would be a historically large majority for the Republicans in the House of Representatives one, you know, one election after Joe Biden swept through and took with him Congress as well as the Senate. And this is what Karl Rove is, is saying in the Wall Street Journal today. He says, the more Joe Biden pushed for transformational change while holding a razor-thin House margin and a 50-50 Senate, the more negative public opinion grew. The president's job approval fell from 56% approve to 36% disapprove at the start of his presidency to 41% approve, 53% disapprove, now in the real clear politics average. This happened in part because he hasn't focused on problems that ordinary Americans face. Instead, he wanted a smorgasbord of new welfare benefits and build back better, few of which would help voters worried that prices were growing at the grocery store and gas pump much faster than their paychecks. And here's the thing, Biden keeps doubling down. So in that horrifying press conference the other day, I think the worst press conference I've ever seen. In that press conference, where a barely sentient elderly gentleman babbled nonsensically while handing Ukraine to the Russians. In the middle of that, he was asked about re- jiggering his presidency. What can he do in terms of comms? And his answer was that he was going to go talk with presidential historians. This was his problem in the first place. Apparently, he had an, a meeting early on in his administration with a guy named John Meacham. John Meacham is this presidential historian, the self-appointed conscience of the, of the historian community, which he is not, but he has appointed himself thus. And he's the guy who told Joe Biden that he could be FDR or LBJ. And Joe Biden's solution is to go back to John Meacham. By the way, Meacham was supposedly one of the authors on that terrible speech that Biden just gave down in Georgia that kind of put the capstone on his crappy presidency so far, where he called all of his opponents vicious racists and then tried to lecture reporters on how they didn't understand English for quoting him. So Joe Biden is in very, very, very serious trouble. And here's the thing. I think that, that serious political trouble is something that, that attends many presidents from time to time. The problem for Joe Biden is it has now become systemic. This is a systemic problem within the Democratic Party because the entire Democratic Party agenda is the problem. It is not how Joe Biden presents to the world. Joe Biden presents kind of the same way he always has, as a doofus. He doesn't present particularly as a nefarious force in America. He doesn't present as somebody who's innately vicious and cruel and mean. I think he has that edge, but a lot of people don't. The problem for Joe Biden is that his agenda is just unpopular and Democrats have bought into the agenda. And what's worse, they, they've made a cardinal error here. And that is they've created a brand new interest group. And that brand new interest group is parents. This is the thing. The Republicans for the first time since probably about 2004 are grasping that cultural issues matter to the American people. Trump got this on sort of an innate level. He knew where the energy was. He didn't talk about tax cuts and tariffs. Instead, he talked about the, the racial essentialism being pushed by the Democrats. He talked about crime. He talked about all of these sort of social issues that affected Americans on a day-to-day -day level. And he won because of that. Well, Republicans have picked up on this and Democrats are just steering directly into the, oh, I would say they were steering into the skid, except they shouldn't, right? They're, they're actually steering away from the skid. And so now they are in a tailspin. We'll get to more of this in just one moment. First, have you ever gone exclusive with somebody? I remember when I first went exclusive with my wife, which was pretty quickly, you have the butterfly feeling in your stomach. Well, I'll tell you, that feeling can only be recapitulated when you start buying meat exclusively with Good Ranchers, the 100% American meat company. Once we laid eyes on the steaks from Good Ranchers, it was hunger at first sight. They sell beef that is 100% born, raised, harvested right here 
in the United States. That is a big deal considering 85% of the grass-fed beef sold in stores and online is imported from overseas. With Good Ranchers, you help support local American farms and ranches while getting steakhouse-quality cuts delivered straight to your door. They win on quality, price, and mission. That is why we are so excited to partner with them. They take good care of us. They will take great care of you. A bunch of people in the office have been eating nothing but Good Ranchers. And let me tell you, these are the happiest people in the office. Head on over to goodranchers.com slash Ben. Get their biggest offer ever. 30 bucks off your first order plus free express shipping. Use code Ben at checkout or go to goodranchers.com slash Ben. Get 30 bucks off your box of delicious American meat. Order today. Get American meat delivered with Good Ranchers. Okay, so one of the cardinal rules of American politics do not create new interest groups that are aligned against you, particularly if they constitute a huge swath of the American people. Parents have never really been an interest group in American politics. In 2004, Republicans came kind of close over the issues of same-sex marriage and national security, right? They were the security moms. But those issues, realistically speaking, were, were, were not, I think, as big as the Democrats have now made the parenting issue because Democrats have basically declared their allegiance to a progressive left that believes that your children do not belong to you. And so whenever Democrats now say that they are acting on behalf of the children, it sounds a lot like you're acting on behalf of my children against me. And my answer to that is no. You don't know my kids. You don't care about my kids. I don't think Nancy Pelosi gives a damn about my children. I know that that is pretty much all I think about 24 hours a day. I'm the one up in the middle of the night trying to figure out how to make their lives better, not Nancy Pelosi. But when Democrats say they're trying to make your kids life better, what they really mean is they are trying to service particular constituencies and they are going to try to mold children in order to do so. So here's Nancy Pelosi now, talking up her agenda with regard to the kids yesterday. My whole mission in Congress is about the children, for the children. As you heard me say, you're in the arena. You have to be prepared to take a punch. You have to be prepared to throw a punch for the children, for the children. You have to prepare to throw for the children. So I eat gelato out of a $20,000 fridge while masking children and teaching them that they can be members of the opposite sex. No, no, nothing says for the children quite like the Democratic agenda, which is kill babies before they're born. After they're born, tell them that they can be members of the opposite sex and teach them that racial essentialism is a key factor in American life. Nothing says for the children quite like that. Now, the reality is that for progressive left movements, the idea of perfecting humanity in pursuit of utopia has always been a part of the scheme. If you go all the way back to Rousseau, the idea of educating children in a particular fashion so as to achieve some sort of communal end, this has been a large part of every left-wing movement since the inception of left-wing movements. And philosophically speaking, it goes all the way back to Plato. I mean, if you actually read The Republic, Plato talks about taking kids away from their parents and then indoctrinating them in particular values so that they will be better citizens of the polis. So anybody who has utopian visions has to use children as malleable weapons in that fight. But in order to do that in a traditional country that has institutions like parenting and church and local communities, in order to do that, you have to separate kids from their parents. And this is what you're seeing in the battle over education. See, for a long time, the educational battle between Republicans and Democrats was just how much money should we spend on education? And there were debates over school choice and the crappiness of our public schools and all of that. But then the left, has, they've been making increasingly clear that they believe that the chief factor in the spoiling of children, the key factor in the wrecking of kids is parents. And that if they, the experts, were allowed to indoctrinate your kids in whatever they wanted, then the world would just be a better place. Now, there's some people who have been saying this for years. So there's a clip that was floating around online yesterday from Melissa Harris-Perry, who used to have a show on MSNBC. This is from about 2013, but it does sum up what so many progressives think of, of children. Now, ironically, the demographic group, politically speaking, least likely to have children of their own are progressives. Now, conservatives have lots and lots of kids. Progressives have very, very few children and a dog. But, but they think that they should be able to indoctrinate children because children are the collective's property. Children are how you mold the future. So here is a, again, this is from years ago, but it is indicative of a mindset that has now taken deep root inside the Democratic Party, if it didn't already have deep root. Here's Melissa Harris-Perry, circa 2013. We have never invested as much in public education as we should have because we've always had kind of a private notion of children. Your kid is yours and totally your responsibility. We haven't had a very collective notion of these are our children. So part of it is we have to break through our kind of private idea that kids belong to their parents or kids belong to their families and recognize that kids belong to whole communities. Once it's everybody's responsibility and not just the households, then we start making better investments. Lean forward. Okay, so what the left says 
is that they want to help out children by providing them more resources. What they mean is what they mean is that they would like to remove your ability to control how your child is educated and the values that you teach your kid. You're seeing this in Canada right now with this lying bill. I mean, they call it an anti an anti conversion therapy bill. It is not an anti-conversion therapy bill. It is an anti-reason, anti-religion bill in Canada that essentially suggests that if you are a parent who does not want to teach your kid that they can switch sex, or if you're a parent who wants to teach your kid about traditional sexual morality and the belief that, for example, heterosexual activity is more valuable community-wise and more valuable morally than homosexual activity, if you want to teach your kid that, this makes you a vicious, brutal bigot. And, and the government should either fine or remove your child, right? They should fine you or put you in jail for this sort of thing. I mean, that is law now in Canada. Okay, that is what the left would like. When it comes to sexual indoctrination of children, I mean, this obviously is happening in public schools in places like California, New Jersey, New York. This idea that you have to indoctrinate small children into the lies of gender theory so as to twist the brains of small kids and make them emissaries of your theory. That's the end goal right there, is to make the kids the actual weapons on your own behalf. It's not good for a kid to be gender confused. But it's good for the gender confused to gender confuse kids. Because if you can convince kids that they are naturally gender confused, then you can make them activists on behalf of a movement, which is why the left so frequently will use children as activists on behalf of their movement. And this applies across the board. The left is constantly, on an international level, using children as weapons for their agenda. So, for example, there's a clip that was racing around the internet last night. It's from Quebec. So, Quebec has basically come locked down central in the West. It's like Quebec and Australia. And this is from Quebec TV, TV, and it features children ratting out the unvaccinated and being cheered for it on, on TV. It says, you, are you vaccinated? Yes, we both have one dose. Are you in favor of mandatory vaccine? Yes, yes. It looks like I drill them. What should we do with the people who don't want the vaccine, she asks. We should call the police. Ooh, yes, yes. If they don't have a vaccine, it can make a lot of people in danger. So like what the government does right now, we should cut everything from them. Little by little, until they sub submit and get vaccinated. Applause. So it looks like we've got some future politician here. And people giving big claps, big claps from the weird guy in the small glasses and the giant mustache and the odd man bun. And the use of children as weapons on behalf of the state and on behalf of a status perception of how people should live is key for the left. Now, do they actually care about the kids? Of course not. Okay, the entire effort to mask children, the international effort to mask children is entirely rootless. There is no data, none, suggesting that masking children has in any way affected the course of COVID. Children were the demographic group least affected by COVID. And yet they were the demographic group most attacked by the people at the top levels of government. Right now in, in Britain, you had people who've been going to, to soccer games for months at this point without masks. But all the children in school were supposed to mask. Down here in Florida, we still have schools that are masking kids for no reason at all. No one's masked down here. We still have schools that are masking kids. Okay, it's, it's insane. There's a clip that was floating around yesterday from, uh, from GB News. It's Great Britain News. And uh, it is of a, a young woman who it looks like just may have graduated high school recently, talking about the effect on kids of forcing them to, to wear masks and, and how the COVID insanity has affected kids. Because these folks don't care about kids. They just want to control them so that you can't. And the effect on kids, of course, is grave. When you teach kids gender confusion, the effect on them is grave and terrifying. When you teach kids racial essentialism, the effect on them is grave and terrifying. And when you forcibly mandate masks upon small children for no apparent reason, the effect is grave and terrifying. Because it ain't about the kids. It's about using the kids as weapons. Here is this, uh, this young woman from uh, GB News. They literally ruined our life. And nobody, sp nobody spoke about it at all. And the commentators, they had union reps come on and say, this is what the school should have put in place. And they didn't care about what this did to us. And this is the first time I've ever spoken about it on TV because I knew that I'd cry about it. But I literally watched and felt like my entire life was falling apart. <laughs> because of what this government did to young people, and nobody cares. Not one person has cared about children in this pandemic. They think, oh, let's throw... Why are we putting masks on them when people can go to football stadiums and they can go to theatres and play Nadim Zahawi sitting there at the teaching walls with no masks, and yet we're disrespecting kids? This pandemic will finish 
the damage this has done for artists forever. A hundred percent. She is a hundred percent right, but no one cared about the kids. You were protecting the kids by forcing them out of school and then by forcing them to mass go back to school and by having Randy Weingarten run things here in the United States. Now, again, this is a cult. Right? There's a guy named Vinay Prasad who uh, writes for Tablet, among other places. He's a hematologist, oncologist, and associate professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco. He has a piece today titled The Cult of Masked School Children. He says, as we enter the third year of the pandemic, every child age five and up is eligible to receive a COVID vaccine in the United States. Oddly, this development has been accompanied by increased pressure on kids to wear masks in school. Some private schools have gone beyond cloth masking and now mandated N95 or equivalent masks for children as young as four. The Berkeley Unified School District in California recently began transitioning students to N95 level masking. This isn't a matter of protecting children, their teachers, or their grandparents. It's delusional, dangerous, cult-like behavior. He says, let's start with cloth masks, which have been the most common type of facial covering used to cover kids' faces in school. In the only cluster randomized trial conducted during the pandemic among adults, cloth masking failed to improve the primary outcome of COVID cases that were confirmed with a blood test. The United States is uniquely aggressive in masking young kids. Contrary to scientific evidence, the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics advise that kids as young as two should wear masks. Europe has always been more relaxed on this issue, and the WHO advises against masks for kids under six and only selectively for kids under 11. Now, let's consider N95 or equivalent masks designed to filter a high percentage of particles. To achieve this goal, N95 masks require a snug fit and validation. Notably, there are no approved N95s for kids because these masks have not been subject to validation for young people. All masks sold with this moniker are merely N95 style masks thought to be equivalent, possibly. What is the goal of masking policy? Does it at least help to slow the infection? Pre-vaccine, it made sense to try to delay infection until people could be vaccinated, but Omicron infects everybody. How about the effects of long COVID, says Vinay Prasad. He says, the best data we have suggests between zero and 2% of kids infected will experience symptoms beyond any control measures. The larger point is that if infection is inevitable, if it's just a matter of time, considerations of long COVID are moot. No matter how we reach the destination, we'll have to help children who develop long COVID. That's true, whether we make them wear masks or face shields or hold their breath every time they go indoors. And yet we have continued down this path because again, it is not about saving the children. It is about using the children. Now, you say that you're endangering kids if you don't force everybody to mask or if you don't force everybody to vaccinate or if you don't indoctrinate kids in gender theory, if you don't indoctrinate them in the insanity of anti-racist garbage from Ibram X. Kendi. Kids are not things that ought to be protected, according to the left. They are tools to be used for the creation of a brand new future. We'll get to more of this in a second because the agenda is, is 100% clear. We'll get to that in a second. First, let's talk about the fact you're spending too much money on gas because you are. The price of gas has been inflated for months and months and months and months at this point. Well, if you could be saving 25 cents per gallon every time you fill up, why would you not do that? Here's the good news. You can head on over to the App Store or Google Play right now and download the free Get Upside app. Use promo code Shapiro. Get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That is up to 50 cents cash back. Do not pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank of gas. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to 300 bucks a year in cash back. There is no catch. The cash back gets added directly to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank of gas. That is code Shapiro. Go check them out right now. Again, get that free GetUpside app. Use promo code Shapiro to get up to 50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank of gas and then 25 cents per gallon on every tank of of gas after that. Get the Get Upside app today. Alrighty, so the agenda to indoctrinate children continues apace. When it comes to masking, the idea is that that allowing children to go to school unmasked is some form of cruelty to kids. There's a piece by Teresa Vargas writing for the Washington Post today. Teresa Vargas, who is a local columnist for the Washington Post, she says, in catering to selfish parents, Youngkin is failing Virginia's kids. And catering to selfish parents, you see, the parents are the selfish ones. The, the, the great and good expositors of masking for all, they're the ones who care about the kids, but people's own parents don't care about them. The, the hilarious, ridiculous, insane, and insipid notion that parents don't care about their kids, random Joe cares about your kids more than you do, it's totally crazy. It is contrary to not only all reality, but to all decency. 
But here's what Teresa Vargas writes. When children test positive for COVID at my children's Virginia elementary school, parents don't normally get much information. We are left to wait and see whether we will receive an email saying that student was in close contact with our child. I received several of those emails this school year. Each has evoked in me the same quiet worry and frustration that comes with being thrust again into the unknown. Each has brought the same questions. Will my children get sick? Will my husband or I get sick? Will our kids have to stay home from school to quarantine, forcing them to miss lesson plans and us to figure out how to meet the demands of full-time jobs and childcare? But the one emotion I've never felt while reading those emails is annoyance toward the parents of the kids who tested positive. I have felt sympathy for them and concern for their families. I have felt mortified on their behalf, knowing how awful I would feel if I were in their place. How about you calm the F down, lady? Omicron ain't killing your kids. And if you're vaccinated, ain't killing you either. But, but you are, are so insane that you think that the state should mandate that everybody your kid's age is, is supposed to now mask. For no apparent reason, you can't provide any data to support this position. No data at all. It's a religious position. But this columnist says, the way I have looked at it is we are in this together. No, we are not when you want to control everybody around you. We're, we're all exhausted, but we're doing our best to keep our school community safe. Then a message popped up on a Facebook page for the school community last week. It was written by a staff member. It came at the end of a particularly trying week at the school, one that saw students in seven classes forced into quarantine because at least one child in each had tested positive for COVID. One of those classes belonged to my nine-year-old son. So first of all, this is because your school is stupid. You should not be testing asymptomatic kids, period, end of story. You're not going to slow the spread of Omicron. Omicron is going to hit everyone. You're going to get immunity one way or the other. Get over it. But says the message, many of you were inconvenienced by the quarantine protocols enacted in your child's classroom this past week. The message read, several of those class quarantines would have been avoided if people had given their actions careful consideration before doing them. The actions of a few this week have upset many families and caused distress, as well as left our staff stunned and frankly, a little hurt at the disregard for our community's health and well-being. So there were three actions that had caused some disruption. Two of them, children were sent to school before their quarantine time was up. Children were sent to school while their families awaited coronavirus test results. These were concerning, but they weren't as surprising as the third result given. The paragraph read, do not withhold positive test results. All positive COVID-19 test results are reported to the Virginia Department of Health. Sending your child to school knowing they have a positive test is purposefully putting the community at risk and will also spur the quarantining of an entire classroom. I read it again before I accepted what it was saying. Parents had lied. Yeah, no, yes, they did. You know why they lied? The reason that they lied is because you have set up a completely unlivable standard. Because you have now suggested that the best thing that a parent can do is never test their kid. If these parents are smart, they're not going to test their kids. They're just going to wait until they are asymptomatic from whatever it is they have and then send them back to school because they're not testing them for flu before they send them back to school. They're just going to wait until the kid has no symptoms and send them back. Which, by the way, would be the normal way to treat disease in this country. We have made it completely unlivable for children. We are quarantining kids for 10, 20, 30 days outside the classroom, depending on how many siblings they have or their home living situation. But the bottom line for this Washington Post columnist is she cares about your kids more than more than Youngkin cares about your kids. And that is why she has to control your kids. And Youngkin has to stop catering to selfish parents. It's Youngkin's fault that all of this is happening. Well, maybe it's, maybe it's your fault that this is happening. And this columnist says, I'm an Arlington parent. I want my children to be able to attend school again without having to wear masks. I also know it is not yet safe enough for them to do that. Really? Provide evidence. Provide evidence. How many kids have died from Omicron? Any evidence whatsoever? Please, I'm waiting. Oh, you can't provide because you don't because the evidence is irrelevant. It's not just with regard to masking kids, obviously. It's also with regard to critical race theory. Okay, so critical race theory is indeed taught in schools. There's a watered down version of it that is Ibram X. Kendi nonsense. This is where you teach your child, a five, six-year-old child, that they are the inevitable beneficiary of white privilege in the United States because all of the institutions of the United States were rooted in bigotry. And therefore, if you are white, you enjoy an inherent privilege under the system that black people do not enjoy. Okay, this stuff is being taught to small children. There are kindergarten materials in particular areas of the country that mirror the, the language of Ibram X. Kendi, who is a ridiculous figure. Ibram X. Kendi, by the way, insists that he is an expert on this stuff, despite not being able to actually define the term racism. It's a pretty infamous clip of him being asked to define racism. And he says, racism is when racist people do racist actions, which is like saying, define the word red. Red is when red things are red. Oh, thanks, Ibram. Okay, so here is Ibram X. Kendi explaining to Trevor Noah and company. Well, this is actually uh, to, to his sub-host. Uh, this is Ibram X. Kendi explaining to The Daily Show 
why he is such an expert on race. He's such an expert, guys. Generally, people don't believe in science, but they really don't believe in racial science. They, they just think <laughs> I'm just up here talking. <laughs> you know, just one day I just decided to start talking about race and racism, that I wasn't trained to study this, that this isn't my expertise. It isn't. You're an idiot. He hasn't said a true thing probably his entire career. Trained to study this. You mean you got a sociology degree from nowhere? I mean, seriously. Like, th th this notion that you are trained to Like, I want his scientific credentials, Ibram X. Kendi. I would love to hear them. I would love nothing better than to hear his scientific credentials. Because his actual education is he got dual BS degrees in African-American studies and magazine production from Florida A&M. And then he got a PhD in African-American studies from Temple. Does that sound stupid? But he's, a he's, an, he's an expert in racial science. Our, first of all, last time people used the term racial science, it was real ugly because it was just racial essentialism boiled down to Nazi physiognomy. Okay, so racial science is a pretty nasty history. And maybe if you knew anything about racial history, you wouldn't use the term racial science and then defend it. But Edward Max Kennedy's an expert and we have to boil his stuff down for the kiddies. Now, if you object to this, if you think that this is bad, and if you wish to actually see what your kids are learning in the classroom, the left has decided this is very bad because they ought to control your kids. When Terry McAuliffe said that parents should not have control over their kids, the educational establishment, the experts should have control over their kids. That's what you call a Kinsley slip. So Michael Kinsley, the columnist, he suggested that there are two types of gaffes. One are gaffes where you say something you don't mean. And the other is where you say exactly what you mean, but you say it out loud. Well, that, that is what Terry McAuliffe did in Virginia and it lost in the governor's race. Well, now, according to NBC News, as state legislatures kick into gear this month, Republican governors and lawmakers who have fought to limit discussions of race in public schools are lining up to support a new aim, curriculum transparency. Oh no, parents might know what's being taught to their kids in schools. Lawmakers in at least 12 states have introduced legislation to require schools to post lists of all of their teaching materials online, including books, articles, and videos. The governors of Arizona, Florida, and Iowa, who have previously raised concerns about how teachers discuss racism's impact on politics and society, called for curriculum transparency laws and speeches to their legislatures this month. Florida Governor DeSantis said Florida law should provide parents with the right to review the curriculum used in their children's schools. Some conservative activists say the effort is a potent strategic move to expose and root out progressive ideas from schools. It's the next move in a fight over critical race theory, the academic concept typically taught in college courses to examine how laws and institutions perpetuate racism and which some conservatives have used to describe ideas in books they believe are too progressive or political for the classroom. Christopher Rufo, who's done indispensable work over at the conservative Manhattan Institute on this stuff, he said, the strategy here is to use a non-threatening liberal value transparency to force ideological actors to undergo public scrutiny. But teachers, their unions, and free speech advocates say the proposals would excessively scrutinize daily classwork and would lead teachers to preemptively pull potentially contentious materials to avoid drawing criticism. I love that. So you're a free speech advocate who doesn't want people to know what their kids are learning in class. I feel like you're not so free speech, are you? But according to the left, right, teachers and unions and free speech advocates, they want to be able to teach your children whatever they want to teach your children. And they don't want you to know what they're teaching your kids. Wouldn't that be suspicious? Like in any other context, wouldn't that be suspicious? Anytime you leave your, your kid in a room alone with an adult, you want to know that you could walk into that room at any time and everything would be going fine, right? Complete transparency is, I mean, this is why people leave nanny cams at home. But once you delegate your kid to a classroom, you're supposed to believe that some teacher who's a member of a left-wing Randy Weingarten teacher's union indoctrinated into leftist belief systems ought to be trusted with everything about your kid without any level of transparency at all. According to NBC News, quoting John Friedman, director of the Free Expression and Education, PEN America, a nonprofit group promoting free speech, it's important we call this out. It's a shift toward more neutral sounding language, but it's something that is potentially just as censorious. PEN America has said the laws amount to an educational gag order. It is no less concerned about the curriculum transparency proposals, which Friedman said are designed to generate more outrage over lessons on race and gender in school. Yes, that's correct. They are designed to generate outrage on race and gender in school because for the first time in decades, parents are actually looking at the left and realizing what their game is. And their game is to indoctrinate your kids. Their game is to pervert the minds of your children and make your kids believe stuff that is overtly untrue, bad about themselves and bad about America. That's the reality. And if you, by the way, if, if you're not doing that, then what are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? Why are you so scared that we might find out what you're teaching our children? 
Randy Weingarten, she said, quote, good schools and good school districts have always had curriculum transparency, including extensive two-way communication between parents and educators on what we are teaching and how to support our kids. Pretending otherwise is just the latest attempt by Chris Rufo and others to exploit the frustration of COVID to create a toxic environment where the biggest losers are the children. Nope, 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 nope. By the way, if you think that these schools have always been transparent, why are you objecting to laws that say they should be transparent? What exactly is the problem? The fact that the left opposes this is insane, but fully demonstrative of what the actual agenda is, which is we don't want you noticing what we are doing to your kids. Because again, the cultural indoctrination that has taken place in the United States has done grave damage to entire generations of human beings. If you think it doesn't matter, by the way, look at the damage done to young women, particularly who have been taught that the most vital thing a woman can do on this earth, because it is the most vital thing any human can do on this earth, and only women have the magic superpower, is to have kids and raise them. And yet entire generations have been indoctrinated by our culture, by our educational system, to believe that the height of womanhood is to disdain motherhood. And it's had horrifying effects. We'll get to that in just one moment. First, let's talk about the fact that there's a huge number of car makers and models that are out there right now. What this means is that if your car breaks and you have to go to the auto parts store to replace the part, there's a really good shot they actually don't have the part. They're going to have to order it online and then upcharge you. Well, if they're using a computer to get the part, why should you not use a computer to get the part? You have computers with access to Rock Auto at home and in your pocket. You should head on over to rockauto.com at home, in your pocket. Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or new car dealership? rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Head on over to rockauto.com shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They've got everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or your daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Head on over to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Shapiro in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Again, rockauto.com. Go check them out right now, rockauto.com. Well, we'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, if you don't already know, Matt Walsh is now going viral because he was on Dr. Phil debating gender identity activists. Hilariously, Matt asks one activist to define the word woman, and it goes pretty much how you would think. The response has been enormous. Matt has been trending on Twitter for more than 24 hours. Matt has spoken out against transgender ideology, especially when it comes to kids. He recently became a best-selling children's author with his new book, Johnny the Walrus, about a boy who believes he is a walrus. And the internet tells mommy to respect his trans walrus identity. Johnny the Walrus sold out originally in 48 hours. Don't worry, more copies are on the way. Reserve yours now at amazon.com. Meanwhile, Luke Rosiak, one of our top journalists, he's the Daily Wire reporter who broke the national story about sexual abuse in Loudoun County schools. He has a brand new book out exposing public schools. It is called Race to the Bottom, uncovering the secret forces destroying America's public school system. It's a fantastic must-read book. You can pre-order it today at Amazon. It includes the never-before-told story of America's first woke school system located in Seattle. Tracy Castro-Gill, the director of ethnic studies at Seattle Public Schools, turned math into math ethnic studies where students have to explain how math is used to oppress and marginalize people in communities of color. By spring 2018, that math ethnic studies program was piloted in six schools. On the next state math exam, the performance of black students at those schools just tanked. So the state named Tracy Regional Teacher of the Year, and they are employing her methods all over the country. To learn more, pre-order a copy of Luke Rosiak's Race to the Bottom, Uncovering the Secret Forces Destroying America's Public School System today at Amazon. You are listening to the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. When we talk about the left and their control over kids, what we mean is that the left has had intergenerational effects through their seizing of the high points in American culture and education. And it's had a massive, terrible impact on the United States. There's a really good piece by a person named Sasha White over a tablet mag called The Woman's Place is in the Rat Race. In today's miserable workforce, the career-centric promises of modern feminism are hollower and less fulfilling than ever. One of the most miserable groups of American workers is women who face a burnout crisis and report the highest levels of workplace exhaustion and dissatisfaction, according to this columnist. A 2021 study by McKinsey and Company and LeanIn.org found that 42% of women say they feel burned out often or almost always. According to the same study, one in three women says they've considered downshifting their careers or leaving the workforce this year. Paradoxically, women in this country were promised we would finally be fulfilled and empowered if we entered the workforce. Unlike my mother and grandmother's generation who were raised to become mothers and wives, my entire generation was taught that our careers will give us deep meaning and allow us to make a difference in the world. That promise rings hollow for several reasons. 
On a personal level, it creates a mentality in which the loss of one's career can lead to a devastating emotional void. And on a societal level, it has been manipulated for all sorts of damaging corporatist ends. So why is it still orthodoxy in most feminist circles that going to work equals liberation? This, exact, this is exactly right, of course. And again, the, the simple fact of the matter is that women's happiness and satisfaction in life has declined relative to men since the 1970s. And yet, pop feminism has continued to lean into the corporate system, devaluing any life choice for women that does not center on economic prosperity. Of course, this system does not only harm women. Lower and lower, and lower middle class men today are reduced to a third tier status in today's workplaces too. America is known for its poor treatment of such workers, long hours, low wages, little time off, no mandated paid parental leave. Countrywide, only 30% of Americans report feeling engaged at work. Yet identity politics obscures that this state of affairs applies to all workers and the advocates of careerist feminism promote the idea that men have a joyous experience in capitalism that we can also be privy to if only we could break the glass ceiling, which of course is not true. You know, the, the bottom line here is that we have taught pathologies to generations of Americans. And then in order to promote the pathology still further, you have to hijack the next generation of Americans because it turns out that the people who embrace the Let's not have kids. Let's embrace sexual hedonism. The only thing that matters is whatever floats your boat. Turns out those people don't have a lot of kids. So how do you promote that agenda to the next generation? The answer is you have to seize other people's kids. The answer is you have to seize the high points in culture, in education, in entertainment, and then you have to indoctrinate an entirely new generation of human beings in your particular point of view. And you have to stop anybody from finding out about it if you are Randy Weingarten and the teachers' unions. Okay, meanwhile, back to Joe Biden. Joe Biden has now fomented an absolute mess in Ukraine. According to the Washington Post, President Biden faced a furor on Thursday, including a highly unusual rebuke from Ukraine's president and sharp criticism from Republican members of Congress after appearing to downplay a hypothetical minor incursion by Russia into its neighbor's territory. The administration was hastily thrown into cleanup mode, reassuring allies and foes the United States would view any crossing by Russian troops into Ukraine as unacceptable aggression. This is because Joe Biden said in an open press conference that a minor incursion would be treated differently than a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, which is an insane statement. It is the just the tip of foreign policy. This prompted the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, it prompted him to tweet out, we want to remind the great powers there are no minor incursions in small nations, just as there are no minor casualties and little grief from the loss of loved ones. I say this as the president of a great power. And so that, that is President Vladimir Zelensky just slapping Biden direct across the face. Members of Congress were also critical, of course. Senator Ben Sass, a Republican of Nebraska, he said the president's press conference was an absolute train wreck that will have serious consequences. President Biden basically gave Putin a green light to invade Ukraine by yammering about the supposed insignificance of a minor incursion. He projected weakness, not strength, which is, of course, absolutely 100% undeniably true. Okay, so yesterday, Joe Biden had to try to clean this up and uh, clean up on aisle nine commenced. It, it didn't go fantastically well. Uh, I've been absolutely clear with President Putin. He has no misunderstanding. If any, any assembled Russian units move across the Ukrainian border, that is an invasion. But it will be met with severe and coordinated economic response that I've discussed in detail with our allies, as well as laid out very clearly for President Putin. But there is no doubt, let there be no doubt at all, that if Putin makes this choice, Russia will pay a heavy price. Yeah, by heavy price, he just means more sanctions that many of our European allies won't even join us in. Right? But Biden said that himself in the press conference. He said NATO is divided, which is exactly what Putin wants to hear. If NATO is divided, there isn't a unified response. So he said NATO is divided over what happens if they just go and take the Donetsk region, for example. And that's exactly what he wasn't supposed to be saying. According to the Washington Post, quote, for weeks, top U.S. officials have been emphasizing that Washington is fully united with its European allies about how to respond to Russia. But Biden said that was not entirely the case in all circumstances, suggesting that Russian action short of an invasion could cause a divide among allies about how to forcefully respond. Many officials conceded Biden was probably accurately portraying real divisions that could emerge within NATO. But Europe and U.S. leaders have been at pains to emphasize their unity, not their differences. Biden said in that press conference is, quote, there are differences in NATO as to what countries are willing to do, depending on what happens, the degree to which you have to go. And of course, Vladimir Putin just sits in the background chuckling heavily. Jen Psaki tried to clean this up as well. She says, don't worry, don't worry. Our allies know what Biden was saying. Yeah, they know. That's why they're tweeting out that they think that he just handed the place over to, to Vladimir Putin. I can assure you that 
Our allies and partners uh, know exactly what the President's position is. They knew what it was yesterday. They knew during the press conference. They knew after the press conference because we have been engaged uh, closely and working in lockstep with them for weeks on the rising uh, military uh, incursion or threat posed by Russia. Uh, so they know exactly where they stand. They, ha they always have, and they certainly do today. Uh, no, they, uh, then thank you for that, that massively failed cleanup. This president is a failure on every level. And here's the thing. Again, the underlying agenda is bad. It's a very, very bad and nefarious agenda. And that's what Americans are responding to. They're not responding to Joe Biden's lack of rhetorical flourish. They're responding to the fact that he has been telling the truth and so is his party. The mask is off. Maybe the story of American politics since 2016 is that all the masks are off. All the veils have been removed. And we're seeing for the first time the full ugliness of what everybody seems to think about everything. And the American people are looking direct in the face of the dictatorial mandates from the Biden administration and their viewpoint on how children ought to be raised and their viewpoint on foreign policy. And they're saying, we don't like any of this. And they are running screaming the other way. By the way, meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to do the same thing with regard to, to elections. Right? After spending two years suggesting that, that Donald Trump was the worst thing ever to happen to American politics because he was doubting election results and, and he was undermining faith in America's elections, Joe Biden literally came out in a press conference and just said, our future elections will not be legitimate if I don't get what I want. By the way, he's not the only one who says this. Vice President Kamala Harris was asked specifically about this yesterday, about whether Biden thinks the midterms will be illegitimate. And uh, it got awkward because there's no such thing as Vice President Harris not being awkward. She's the most awkward human being who has ever walked the earth. Does he think, now that these bills haven't been passed, that the 22 midterms won't be legitimate or fair or free? Let's not conflate issues. So what we are looking at and, and the topic of so much debate last night was that we as America cannot afford to allow this blatant erosion of our democracy and in particular the right of all Americans who are eligible to vote to have access to the ballot unfettered. So I noticed one thing that she didn't say right there is that the elections will continue to be legitimate even if we don't pass this bill. Because that's what Joe Biden said. He, he literally said the elections will be illegitimate if we don't pass this bill. He said the, the legitimacy of the election is directly proportional to how many of the Republican bills get passed, which is an insane statement. Hey, James Clyburn, who is supposedly one of the wise old men of the House of Representatives, he was a leading factor in Joe Biden winning the nomination. James Clyburn of South Carolina, he openly says, unless Democrats are running elections, I just don't trust the results. We know the history of Alabama. We know the history of Georgia, Florida, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina. We know that history. And so they're now making these changes. And one change is if you give somebody a drink of water standing in line, it's a felony. That is crazy. So how could it be a legitimate election if you've got those kinds of things hanging over you? Okay, so there can't be a legitimate election unless Democrats are running the election. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki is trying to clean this up. So yesterday she was asked about it. She said, no, Joe Biden isn't challenging elections. He isn't. Yes, he is. That is the whole premise of what he's saying. Uh, honestly, Jen Psaki has a terrible job, right? Being a White House press secretary is a very rough job. It's particularly bad when the president of the United States is absolutely incoherent. It was hard when Trump was president because if you were the press secretary and you said something, you didn't know whether Trump was immediately going to say that you were lying or, or saying something wrong. Like Trump would actively come out and shiv you. But if you're Jen Psaki, and you have to defend whatever nonsense spews out of the oatmeal-ridden mouth of the president of the United States. It's a rough job. So here she is trying to walk back. She, she's trying to clean that, that Joe Biden rhetorical bedpan right here. He was not intending to cast doubt on the legitimacy of the 2020 election. He was actually attempting to make the opposite point, which is that in 2020, uh, despite COVID, despite many attempts to suppress the vote, a record number of voters, Democrats and Republicans, independents too, turned out in the face of a pandemic and election officials made sure they could vote and have those votes, votes counted. Right. According to Jen Psaki, the only election that has ever been good is the one Joe Biden won. All the other ones that had different procedures because COVID was not in place. All those other ones are illegitimate. So then Jen Psaki had no answer because somebody actually had the temerity to quote Joe Biden and, uh, and it got awkward for her. The president said to him, I'm not saying it's going to be legit. The increase in the prospect of being illegitimate is in direct proportion to us not being able to get these reforms passed. So yes or no, does the president believe if all remains as it is right now, 
that the elections this fall will be legitimate. His, but yes, but what he is, what the point he was making is that as recently as 2020, as we know, the former president was trying to uh, work with local officials to overturn the vote count and not have ballots counted. Okay, giant fail. Giant fail. Okay, everybody now knows that Joe Biden has no moral high ground. When he says that you can't challenge election results, you can, as long as you're a Democrat. If you're a Republican and you do it, this means you're very bad and evil and undermining a faith in democracy. If you're a Democrat and you do it, this is because you are righteous and you are attempting to stop the erosion of democracy. And weird how this works. Okay, so all of this is going to manifest in very ugly ways for Democrats come 2022. The good news for Democrats, according to Nancy Pelosi, is that the House Democrats are the greatest collection of intellectual heavyweights in American history. You have to love Nancy Pelosi just because there is so little going on upstairs at this point. I mean, it, it does say something about the United States when the top levels of our political class are all 80-year-old geriatric patients. It's, it's, it's really, it says something. Here, here's Nancy Pelosi, who also, I mean, her sartorial choices are always very interesting. Uh, I don't know why she just went and, and apparently got like a bunch of, of 1970s style beads and, and is now wearing them around her. It's, it's a strange sartorial choice. Okay, here we go. I say to my members on a regular basis when we gather in caucus, and as you know, sometimes it's hybrid these days, but anytime we have gathered in caucus, one way or actually virtually or hybrid, I've said to them, under this roof, figuratively or actually, is the greatest collection of intellect, integrity, an imagination for doing the right thing for the American people. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, by the way, if that's true, we are so screwed as a nation. If that, if that collection of intellectual luminaries is the greatest collection of intellect and integrity anywhere, imagination for solving America's problems. Who are we talking about here? Like Eric Swalwell, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Pramila Jayapal, Ayanna Presley. What uh, the, the luminaries, the brilliance, the insane intellectual. Those people should probably raise your kids. That's probably the answer. Probably if they raise your kids, everything will be fine. Alrighty, we'll be back here later today with an additional hour of content. First, you cannot forget to end your week by tuning into the Andrew Clavin Show. Bruce shows every Friday. He's got an exciting evening planned for you. Head on over to dailywire.com, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, and tune in. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Help spread the word about The Ben Shapiro Show by giving us a five-star review and sharing the show with a friend. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to check out some of our other Daily Wire shows. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Elliot Feld, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our production manager is Pavel Wydowski, associate producer Bradford Carrington. Editing is by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Fabiola Cristina. Production assistant, Jessica Kranz. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. Hey, 